Welcome to another episode of the Virtual Coffee Break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. My name is Martin Mangual, a dairy educator with Michigan State University Extension. In today's episode, educator Paola Basigalupo will host a conversation with Dr. Ron Erskine from the Department of Large Animal Clinical Sciences at Michigan State University. The topic is selective drug call therapy. So Paola, I'll send it over to you. Hello. I'm Paola Vasigalupo. I'm an extension educator with MSU. And for today, MSU and Extension Dairy Team Coffee Break, we're going to be talking about selective dry cow therapy. And for that, we have Dr. Ronald Erskine from the College of Veterinary Medicine from MSU. Thank you, Paula. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about this. Selective dry cow therapy has certainly gotten a lot of interest in the dairy industry. It really started over in Europe in response to reducing antibiotic use or concerns over antimicrobial resistance. And it's one of those areas that probably like everything else, maybe uh, for some producers to attempt and others, maybe not. But it's certainly because it is out in the the lay press and in, in the research literature, it's something that uh, it's it's worth talking about. Okay, so what is dry cow therapy and why do we use it? Important thing to understand is that dry cow therapy, uh, along with tea tipping after milking cows, has been the one of the cornerstones of mastitis control 50, 60 years. Things have changed a little bit. Some of the more common Organisms such as Strepagalactia and Staph aureus in many herds are not as common as they used to be, partially due to a shift in the type of bacteria that cows are infected with, partially because we are at a place where the overall most herds, the level of mastitis that we now have compared to many years ago, or if, and it's been progressing over the years, is certainly, well, less mastitis, milk qualities improve. So it's good to have a little reflection on this, but as far as the question, what is dry cow therapy? Putting an infusion of antibiotic at uh, the end of a cow's lactation. Blanket dry cow therapy implies that's treating all the cows as they dry off, selective as the name would apply, just a few. Just remember that dry cow therapy not only potentially treats and cures the existing infections that a cow has as she dries off, but it also plays a very important role in preventing new infections over the dry period. And to remind everybody that that first week or so after drying off, partially because we're just stopping to milk the cows, as that cow is cleaning up her udder or what we call involution, that pretty much it's very important to have that antibiotic in there to prevent new infections during that period. It's a very high risk period. So we can get around that, but that's what dry cow therapy has done for us. So if we're going to talk about selective dry cow therapy and as a replacement for doing all the cows or treating all the cows, it can be a good tool in our mastitis toolbox if we do it right. Okay, so that leads me to my next question. What makes a farm a good candidate to start thinking or start applying selective dry cow therapy? Sure, Paula. So as you might guess right off the start, 
if a herd for various reasons or they're going through a period where they're struggling a little bit with more mastitis than they would like, I would tend to think that as a herd over 200,000 cells per ml in their bulk tank or herd average, definitely over 250, that should at least cause or hit the pause button and say, boy, is this really for me? Because until I uh, control mastitis a little better, if I'm struggling, for instance, with you know, a lot of cows who are infected, I better be careful not to treat all the cows. Now, maybe another w way of looking at it is if I'm the type of herd that has a lot of cows with high cell counts after calving or clinical mastitis in the first 30 to 60 days after calving, that would be your sign that maybe there's a few too many cows coming in that are infected from that uh, dry period into the fresh period. So basically, if we have a herd with a low SMAC cell count, clinical mastitis after calving seems to be at a low level, no other indications through cell counts, whatnot, that we have a lot of fresh cows with mastitis, that's the type of herd that at least should consider selective dry cow therapy as compared to a herd that should not. Okay, so now we know what farms can consider selective dry cow therapy. Now, which cows are good candidates to apply or not have a dry cow therapy? Sure, and the thing here too is that this is kind of a fusion between individual cow and the herd level. Once you go to selective dry cow therapy, uh, as the name would imply, you're now selecting cows, who's, who's going to get treated, who's not. And a little bit of the herd level, you do have to ask yourself, what is the labor structure in this herd? That is, who's doing the dry cow treatment? And if you're going to go selective dry cow therapy, who's going to make the decisions, number one, who gets treated, who does not? And is that protocol consistent? But also, especially if it's more boots on the ground, if in some of dairies employees are dry cow treating the cows, it's very, very important that proper identification of which cow got treated and which not uh, is done for residue problems. So as opposed to blanket dry cow therapy where everybody should pretty much assume all cows have been treated and so when they calve, there are milk and meat withdrawals, with selective dry cow therapy, it puts an extra responsibility to make sure those cows that were treated are properly identified and tracked because now there's potential for communication issues, okay, in uh, as far as residues. And once we know we have that in place, then simply what we're going to try to suggest is to who are the infected cows that dry off. The premise being that if we don't treat or if we do not treat cows who are not infected, they probably aren't going to benefit as much from the dry cow therapy. And there have been several field studies now to suggest that herds that properly follow this cow selection protocol on the other end of calving, cows that aren't treated, that were not infected, don't have any issues with cell counts or clinical mastitis or milk production in the next lactation. So how are we going to find the infected cows? Easiest way really is SMAC cell counts. SMAC cell counts are measures of subclinical infection. In a herd that has DHI testing, it's kind of a no-brainer. The uh, You look at prior SMAC cell count tests, generally I recommend at least three. And if all the individual SMAC cell count tests for that cow have been 
below a linear score of four, or that would be below 200,000. And she has no record of uh, previous clinical mastitis during that lactation up to leading up to dry off. She could be considered as a uh, potential candidate for not being treated or being selected to go into the non-treated group. Herds that um, don't have any somatic cell count testing or they're not sure about the clinical mastitis treatment records, I think selective dry cow therapy is not for you. And you really should stay with blanket dry cow therapy. The first and easiest cut is done with somatic cell count testing, clinical mastitis records. Some trials have suggested also doing cultures of the high cell count cows, and that gives maybe another layer of identifying infected cows, but uh, cows with low SMAC cell counts, three tests running, no clinical mastitis cases in that previous lactation, probably, at, at least as far as the criteria goes, they're probably going to do okay. One thing, too, while we're here, that in most of the studies that have looked at successful application of selective dry cow therapy, they have used internal teat sealants as part of their protocol. That's to make up for the prevention of new infection piece that uh, previously the antibiotics did. Okay, so what about those farms that are not doing individual milk tests? that are not uh, on the HIA records? Well, there is an option, uh, and that'd be the California mastitis test, uh, or the CMT. The CMT is, uh, agrees very well with DHI SMAC cell count testing. You don't get an actual number, but a cow who's positive, at least in one quarter, with a CMT paddle, almost 98% of the time or better, she would you would find out on DHI testing she'd have a high cell count. So in lieu of a individual SMAC cell count for the cows, you can use a CMT. This can vary between herds, but probably a good starting point would say that you want to do at least two CMTs. Now, the advantage of the CMT is you do get right into individual quarters, so there's no dilution effect uh, that you have in a whole cow test. And I'd say if a cow had two negative CMTs, these tests should be at least a week or 10 days apart. Not a, and all the quarters were negative, all the quarters were negative, so not even a one, you know, we're not just talking about twos and threes. And once again, clinical mastitis cases or records come into play, that cow would be a good candidate for just using internal teat sealant and not treating with antibiotics. Conversely, if she had a positive CMT uh, or history of clinical mastitis, you probably should select her to be treated with intramammary antibiotics. And again, let's just go back at the little bit of the herd level. Much like cell count, if you don't have cell count testing, you're not going to do the CMT uh, a couple times prior to drying off and or no clinical mastitis records or accurate records. Probably you have to also stay with blanket dry cow therapy. And would you say the same thing if a farm is, is doing the testing quarterly? They don't have enough information to do selective breakout therapy, right? That's a great question. It kind of leads into our, my next comments about monitoring. But yes, quarterly testing is just not enough information. You're going to have a lot of cows who were missed. Yeah, this should be testing at least done every six weeks. I wouldn't go much beyond that. Yeah, just otherwise you just don't have accurate information of tracking infections. So that leads into the next issue and that's the monitoring. Now we selected the cows and we know we have to be very careful in selecting those cows. Now how do we know if 
selective drag cow therapy is working in my farm. Yeah, like any change that we make, not just for mastitis, but other management changes in the farm, we, we need some sort of metric of how well it's worked. And one of the, the key issues, I think a lot of farms don't use individual SMAC cell count testing anymore, is that we really have lost our vision as to monitoring mastitis in our herds. So to this point, if you're going to make a change in this specific case, the selective dry cow therapy, as you mentioned, Paula, you can do a very careful selection of cows based on uh, you know, cell counts, CMTs, clinical records. But at the end of the day, you need some sort of measurement. Well, how well is it working? Is, is my selection criteria good enough? Now, it may not mean you throw out selective dry cow therapy. You just may have to tweak how you find the cows. So how do we, what are our metrics? We need to track what I'll call new or chronic infections over the dry period or dry cow new and chronic infections. Clinical mastitis, I'd mentioned this earlier, especially in that first month or two after calving, many of those are associated with the dry period. Some are, of course, um, transition period. And then as we're considering, well, gee, we're tracking these things, you do have to bring in a little consideration of what time of year you're uh, playing in here. If you've just started the selective dry cow therapy program and it was cows who dried off and calved in summer, you make it a different picture than winter. And of course, other changes like other been changes in housing or bedding or stocking, right? So these have to kind of weigh in a little bit as we're looking at our metrics. Okay, could you please explain better what do you mean with dry cow infections? So we're going to, again, focus on the individual cow SMAC cell counts. And just for clarity, by definition, this would be a linear SMAC cell count score greater than or equal to four, which puts that cow at 200,000 or greater. And by standard DHI testing, but I, I think accepted pretty well, we'll just call a cow who's four or greater, very likely infected. A cow who's under four, not likely to be infected. And one of the things that I've seen in many herds that use individual cell count testing is that we can really get a good measure of what is going on in the dry period of the cow in terms of her um, utter health. And the way we like to do that is to look at her last SMAG cell count test, well, I should say her SMAG cell count test and her last test date right before drying off. So her last test date, previous lactation, and compare it to her test date one or her first test date after calving. So a before and after. So if a cow had below a four, not infected at dry off or the test right before dry off, and then she's above a four after calving, that's a new infection. If she was infected or above a four at dry off, but all, or no longer has a high cell count after calving, then she would have cured. And chronics conversely would be, hey, this cow had it before and after. But these are important metrics for dry cow program, especially the new infection rate. And you expect a higher cure rate or a lower chronic infection rate in dry cow periods than you do in, uh, for instance, treating lactating cows. Good goals would be to have a new infection rate below 10% for your herd. So 10% of your cows if uh, they were clean when they dried off, they should not be infected when they're calving, and have the uh, chronic cases below 25%. In other words, if they were infected at dry off, three out of four of those cows 
should cure or no longer be infected. So those are standards we know with herds are using blanket dry cow therapy. Or put it simply, these are standards that you measure in your herd to know where you're at before you make the change. So if you start a selective dry cow therapy program, it's very important. In fact, this is the great advantage that DHI somatic cell count testing has before CMTs, but CMTs will still work. But it's very important to know what was my new infection rate over my dry period for two or three months running before I made the change? So that three, six, 12 months after you've made this change, you can get an idea how well your change in dry cow therapy has worked. I wanna caution the listeners that you do not want to use bulk tank smack cell counts or herd average cell counts as a monitor for your mastitis or any changes in your dry period. There's many reasons why bulk tank SMAC cell counts are not a good, or as it will say, a crude measure of mastitis. Uh, doesn't take an effect treatment, cow, treated cows, three-quarter milking cows, cows that are being culled. And while we certainly want low bulk tank SMAC cell counts for quality milk, they're not a good measure of dynamics in the herd. Here is a herd that they instituted some changes in using internal teeth sealant, improved the cow hygiene in the dry period. And it was in the spring of 2015, and they had a SMAC cell count of 140,000, which by any measure uh, is, is quite good. And yet their dry cow infection rate had room for improvement. As time went on over the next year, year and a half, you can see a dramatic consistent drop in the amount of cows who had a new infection over the dry period. This is where we wanna be. And yet, if you look at the herd average cell count, it was the same between this 18 month period. So in other words, if we used bulk tank or herd average SMAC cell count and saying, gee, is this new dry cow program working? We might scratch our head and say, not really at all. And yet we see an entirely different picture when we look at the individual cow recording. This is why it's very important to monitor because anything you do to change during that dry period in the cows, you must be able to know whether or not it's, being, it's, it's effective and you're not gonna pay the price. As I just mentioned, I really wanna focus on this fresh cow mastitis and just how often it gets overlooked on a typical dairy. Everybody's talking, uh, usually worried when we have meetings, talks about, well, our milking technique or how clean our bedding is, very important. But dry cows get overlooked. And yet, they're probably, from a financial standpoint on a farm, probably have the biggest impact on lost production in from mastitis uh, in the entire herd. So here is a study that was done. It was presented at the NMC a few years back. It was a record of over 160,000 cows from 20 large dairies out west in the western part of the U.S. And what the comparison was within herds was cows who had a DHI test date one, or first test date, of linear SMAC cell count score of greater than or equal to four. So remember, those are infected cows. And they compared them to herd mates that were not infected, so below a four. And then they track their 305 day milk. And to no surprise, because we've known this for years and it's never changed, cows with chronic subclinical infections that you don't see are losing milk every single day. Particularly when these infections start right after calving and early lactation, 
that kind of becomes a compound loss day in, day out. And so by the time you compared these two groups of cows, infected cows lost almost 1,600 pounds of milk if they're infected just at test date one compared to their herd mates that were not. Infected cows were three times more likely to have clinical mastitis and hence probably antibiotic use. Three times more likely to be removed by 60 days in milk. And we know that clinical mastitis impacts fertility. On average, infected cows with a high cell count testate one had a 15 day increase in their days open. Finally, the cows with clinical mastitis were two times or had twice the risk for culling at 60 days in milk and again when they looked at 120. So the bottom line is, if we do anything in our dry cow program and selective dry cow therapy is just one of them, and we don't monitor without, frankly, without cell counts or CMTs, I don't know how this can be done, then you are at risk. If you don't know where your new infection rates are going during the dry period, if you don't know what's changed in terms of chronics or cures, if you will, over the dry period, you are at risk over a period of time to increase the level of cows who are calving with a high cell count and between clinical mastitis and the day in day out loss from subclinical mastitis really take a financial hit. Wow, so it can have very important consequences. You mentioned internal teak sealant before. So how critical is the use of internal teak sealant and blanket dry cow therapy or selective dry cow therapy, especially in those cows that do not receive an intramammary antibiotic as dry off? Yeah, that's a good point to bring back. Paula. So internal teat sealants have been well demonstrated, as many people know, to reduce new infections. They don't treat them. They don't cure them. They prevent as a physical barrier, as you, most folks can figure out, from keeping bacteria out, especially in that critical post-dry-off period. I would say to your question, Paula, whether you're blanket dry cow therapy or selective dry cow therapy, maybe even more so for selective because you no longer have the presence of antibiotic to prevent new infections, that an internal teeth sealant should be used. Here's the catch. In blanket dry cow therapy, you now have eight different ways to get an infection into a teat. Selective dry cow therapy, at least for those cows that you're not treating, you only have four ways, and that is an infusion. It is very important, very important that before, whether you use an antibiotic in a cow and teat sealant or just the teat sealant alone, that those teat ends are scrubbed clean. And there can be no margin of error, especially if there's no antibiotic in there. But either way, poor infusion technique is, uh, can lead to a disaster in the dry cow infections. And this is a critical point. I think veterinarians need to step in or herd managers and spend, do regular training and employee education or whoever is responsible for dry cow treating a herd to really do some self-evaluations. It can't be overstated enough. Remember how important fresh cow infections are to the bottom line. Now in fairness, if someone were to clean the teats with those small little posted stamp size gauze pads that are put in uh, oh, the, some of the commercial uh, containers, that doesn't really uh, promote asepsis or cleaning of the teats. I would highly recommend that uh, larger wipes that are easier to handle are used. 
let's face it, it's human nature. If you make a job easier, it gets done better. So strict asepsis, and by the way, if you're treating with antibiotics and internal teeth sealant, again, to reiterate, cleaning before the antibiotic and cleaning again before the internal teeth sealant. I'll just mention on the website there, the qualitymilkalliance.com, we have both in English and Spanish, short videos of how to proper infusion tech, select a dry cow therapy can work, especially for employee training and education. So no matter what we do or what we choose in a herd, blanket dry cow therapy, select a dry cow therapy, internal seat sealants or not, anytime, anytime an infusion goes up in the teat of a cow, it's got to be done right and it's got to be done consistently. Yeah, so to our listeners, training and monitoring of the infusion technique is very critical. So to close, what is your take-home message for our listeners? For the right herd, remember we're, we're talking about the labor structure and uh, how well mastitis has been controlled. But if it's something that a dairy producer wants to um, consider, you need a plan in place, obviously, to select or identify the infected cows. Uh, that's what you're making the selection on, the selected dry cow therapy based on. Cell counts are, I think, the cornerstone of that. You don't want to make any changes for anything on the farm without being able to monitor the impact. We talked about that. Uh, again, the same tools that are used to identify the cows are used to monitor the impact. And finally, when we're talking about teat infusions, dry cows, milking cows, doesn't matter, but we want to assure the quality control of the protocols. And remember, it's just not the teat infusion, but to loop back and remember that if you do go with selective dry cow therapy, while identifying treated cows, any dry cow with antibox is important because cows do get mixed up. But when you go to selective dry cow therapy, you do bring in a new potential communication barrier to make sure you know who is treated, who is not, because that does you now have separate pools of cows within the herd. Great information, Dr. Ron, and thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Paola, for the interesting discussion with Dr. Erskine. Definitely very good information for those considering this type of approach to their dry cow program. I would like to thank our listeners and remind them that by subscribing to our podcast, they can get all the past and future episodes of the virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. Join us next week in our Season 1 finale, when Dr. Barry Bradford joins me to discuss important information for dairy producers. We will talk about research, resources, and everything Michigan State University can offer our dairy industry. So please join us then.